Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Well, good evening. Thank you so much for being here this evening. The people who are listening in on podcasts will have no idea of the inside joke that we have all just shared together, but it was hilarious, wasn't it? All right. Well, so glad that you're here. We're uh, beginning this study this evening in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3, looking in verses 16 and 17, and we'll be in various places this evening as we endeavor to answer the question, why can we trust the Bible? Why can we trust the Bible? Tonight may be a little philosophical for us as we look at different worldviews and why uh, the scripture carries authority. But tonight we're going to ask that question, how can we trust the Bible? Why can we trust the Bible? Last week, we looked at this very idea of revelation itself. How wonderful and merciful our God is that he has not only just created us, but that he has chosen to reveal himself to us uh, through, uh, through creation and through, through his word. As we looked at that last week, we saw that God is the originator of revelation. He is the creator of revelation. And, and when I say revelation, of course, I'm not speaking of that last book of the Bible, but I'm speaking of this idea, this grand idea, that not only did God create us, but it was a part of his creation. It was his idea that he would reveal who he is to us. And had that not been the case, we would still be lost in darkness. We'd be unable to find our way to him. Mankind would contrive all types of religions to try to find their way to uh, a higher being, but they would, we would never know who God is had he not revealed himself to us first. And what a wonderful, wonderful truth we learned last week that God is the originator of revelation Last week, we also saw that he is the initiator of revelation. Yeah, we didn't seek after him. It's worse than that. We were enemies of God. We were, uh, we were everything we could be against him and against his will. And he's the one who pursued us. He initiated the relationship with us. There are a lot of believers today who want to hold to a doctrine and to theology that they chose God first. But the truth of Scripture is, even though we thank God that we, uh, in his grace, have been able to turn to him, the truth is, is that he loved us first, that he sought after us first. He is the initiator of revelation and revealing himself to us. He is the cultivator of revelation. That is, when God shows his character to us, when he shows us who he is, there is a... Uh, a responsibility on our behalf to respond to that revelation, to respond to his word and to allow his word to take root in our lives. Now, last week when we were looking at this concept of revelation, we said that there are two different types of revelation. Does anyone remember what those are? The first is, hang on a second, 
My star pupil today is none other than Dr. Milliken. Doc. General Revelation. General Revelation. Very good. Dr. Milliken, I, I, knew that, I knew that you could answer that question. The first area of revelation that we looked at is called general revelation, and that is that God reveals himself to us in nature. When we look at the sun and the moon and the stars, when we look at creation, we can see that there is a creator, that there is a God, and he reveals himself to mankind, the Bible tells us, just by us looking at creation, but Although general revelation is enough for us to know that there is a God, it's not enough for us to know who he is or what characteristics may be known about him cannot be fully understood or understood really very well at all through general revelation. So God has given us his book, his word, which we call special revelation. It is his written word that he has given to his people. And so tonight we're going to look at the issue of authority and why does the scripture carry authority? This is a two-part uh, thing that we're going to look at. We'll look at tonight, the authority, and we're going to look at the inspiration of scripture. And then next week, we're going to look at the inerrancy of scripture. And then the following week, God willing, Lord willing, we're going to look at why the books that we have are there, and we'll continue to un unfold uh, all of this as we ask the question, why can we trust the Bible? But tonight, we're going to be looking at the issue of inspiration, why the Bible carries authority, why in the midst of countless books and worldviews and philosophies, why the Bible stands alone above them all. There are a number of religious texts that religions all around the world study. Why is the Bible different from all of them? And my friends, I can tell you this evening that the Bible is different from all of them. And we'll see why it carries authority. If you have your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, we'll read these verses together, and then we will plunge into this study together. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Hear now the word of the Lord. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me again, please? Father in heaven, I pray now as we come to learn more about your word and why your word may be trusted and why your word carries authority and why your word has, and why you and your word have authority over our lives. I pray that this evening you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, you know all too well my own weaknesses in and inadequacies. How I'm going to stumble over these things tonight. Father, I pray that you would go ahead of me and you would speak to the hearts of your people this evening so that we could place great trust in you and in the word that you have entrusted to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This evening we'll be looking at the concept of the inspiration of Scripture. 
And as we look at this idea of the inspiration of Scripture, of how the Scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God, I want to make a few corrections before we even look at what inspiration is. And so I want to talk firstly about misunderstanding the inspiration of Scripture. I would say that this is very misunderstood throughout the uh, common church era. It's misunderstood now. Uh, people don't really understand what the inspiration of Scripture is. So let's talk about what it is not. There are some who would say that the Scripture, all of the words in this book, all of God's word as we refer to it, that the Scripture is not inspired, but it may contain lasting truths. Now, there are some people who would stand behind a pulpit and they would preach that, that this uh, God's word is not, uh, that, that it has errors in it and that it was not inspired by God, but it may have within it some timeless truths. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to hear from pulpits. And I could stand up here and uh, call out those people by name and condemn that awful heresy because it is, it is untrue. But I think what's even more tragic than those men who claim to be preachers making those statements is people who live, even in the Southern Baptist world, people even in our own Baptist church, followers of Jesus Christ, who may not say that uh, with their mouths, but they practically believe it. That the Bible itself is not without error, but there are some lasting truths in it. When I say that the Bible is inspired by God, I'm not saying that parts of the Bible are inspired by God. <clears throat> That's not the claim that the scripture makes about itself. And we'll see time and time again how the scripture proves itself over and over again. But, but there will be some who would say that the scripture is not inspired, but it may contain Lasting truths. There's a famous preacher many, many years ago in New York that I learned about in seminary many years ago. Doc, now that's getting further and further away. A pastor, preacher by the name of Harry Emerson Fosdick who said that believers must learn to distinguish between the Shekinah from the shrine. From the shrine. And what he would say is that the Bible has become to us an idol or a shrine, and we must look in it and find those things that are inspired. But that's a really tall order, isn't it? That puts a lot on you and me. That puts a lot of authority in what we want and what we like. When I tell you, when the scripture says of itself that it is God-breathed, that it is inspired, it is not saying the things that you like are inspired. Because in the end, that's what the people who adopt this philosophy, when it comes to the scripture, in the end, that's what they're really aiming at. They want to be the arbiter of truth, and they will go into scripture, and they will say, all right, now see this, loving your neighbor, that is a lasting truth. However, uh, this comment here upon sexual ethics and how we are to live our lives, uh, that is for another time and another era, and that is not God's word. That's what they would say. But when the scripture says of itself that it is God-breathed, he is, the scripture is not saying that it's just certain things. There's a misunderstanding. Many would say that the inspiration of scripture means that there are only pieces of the Bible that are applicable. And we should be careful of living that practically. 
God's word is our rule of thumb. I've said it before. It's a silly illustration. I understand it, but I'm a, I'm a pretty simple person. Uh, I like, uh, if, if the Bible told me to not like bologna sandwiches, I would have to find some way to not like bologna sandwiches, right? I like a good fried bologna sandwich. Some of you may think that's nasty. If the Bible says that about me, then I need to, I need to come to the Bible's expectations Come to the Bible standards and not impose my standards upon the Bible. But there's some misunderstanding upon the inspiration of Scripture. Some would say the only portions of what we're reading here today of the book in front of you, only portions of it are true, but the, it itself is not uh, inspired. There are others who would say that the Scripture is not inspired, but when it is proclaimed, uh, the Lord uh, inspires that proclamation. Karl Barth said that in the 50s, in the 60s. That the scripture itself is not inspired, but when your preacher gets up to preach it, that's when God uses the proclamation of it to speak to your heart. And my friends, I hope that in my six years of ministry here, and I hope many more years of ministry, I hope that you have been blessed by somehow, in some merciful, gracious act of God, I pray that you've been blessed by any preaching that I've been able to do, but that I've been able to stand before you and to preach and to teach. I hope that that's the case, but I want you to know that your pastor has faults. That's where you don't say amen, right? You can say amen before that. Your pastor has faults, and oftentimes, most of the time, when I come to you from the pulpit, I'll say, will you join me in and I will mention the passage of Scripture because I want you to join me there. I want you to read it for yourself. I don't want you to take the pastor's word for it. How many churches, how many organizations with the name of church on it with, with perhaps dynamic leaders, I understand you don't necessarily have that here, but they have said, just trust me. Just trust what I'm saying, and they've led their people astray. Well, there are some who would say that God... That the, the scripture itself is not inspired, but when the word is proclaimed, then it is inspired. I would say that is not the truth. And then there are others who are, who are more honest when they misinterpret the scripture, and they would just say that the scripture is not inspired at all. In 1891, Joseph Henry Thayer uh, wrote a book called The Change of Attitudes Toward the Bible. And in this book he wrote, by reason of improved methods of philological study of progress, and yes, I correctly pronounced philological. I wanted to point that out to you guys. By reason of improved methods of philological study of progress in science and discovery, of accumulating results in archaeological and historical research, the theory of inspiration has come to occasion restlessness and perplexity. At times, not a little distress in thoughtful souls. It has become a yoke which they, unlike their fathers, are unable to bear. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, as we learn new things, as we progress intellectually, we can throw off that old stuff. We don't need that anymore. Now, maybe your ancestors who were, you know, uh, tracking down food to eat, and maybe your ancestors who are constantly afraid of wars on every side and gathering around the fire every night to cook up their meal, maybe they needed the inspiration of Scripture. But today, I mean, aren't we all 
pretty smart folks? Don't we have some education? Can't you tell that all these uh, that, that all these things have come about due to a random process and uh, due to random laws that no one set in motion, such as the law of gravity? Joseph Henry Thayer would have you believe, and many even preachers today are proponents of higher criticism, denying the inspiration and inerrancy of God's word in favor of academia and science. And Lord, I am thankful for all of the things that he has allowed us in his mercy and his grace to learn, right? All of the scientific breakthroughs, well, we thank God for all of those things, but our answer is not in those things, There'd be people who would say the Bible is outdated and that none of it is God's word. It's just another book written by men. It reminds me several years ago, there was a a man uh, who was being interviewed by Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan was uh, asking about uh, this pastor's view on homosexuality and the pastor had shared his what the scriptural view of homosexuality and Piers Morgan said, but shouldn't we bring the Bible into the 21st century? And then he said the words, shouldn't we bring the Bible kicking and screaming into the 21st century? Uh, well, it may sound like something to the, the uh, academic or, or to uh, other people. It may sound like something that is the right thing to do. After all, we are so smart now. But I would say that we are foolish in thinking that we know more than what God knows. There are those who would misinterpret the doctrine of inspiration, and they would say that only portions of the Scripture are inspired or the preaching itself is inspired, or maybe the scripture is not inspired at all, but now I want us to see what is meant by the inspiration of scripture and what gives the Bible authority over your life and over my life. If you're taking notes, number one here, I want you to write down divine authorship. Divine authorship. If we look at this book as a collection of man made books of a collection it's a if we look at it as a library uh, of various men across time who've wrote different books then we would say what authority does Moses have over my life but when we look and we see that scripture is divinely written second timothy chapter 3 verse 16 all scripture is breathed out by god That's the claim that Paul is telling Timothy here. All scripture is breathed out by God. That is, all of of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, it is not words of random authors. It is God's word. It's been breathed out from him. It's top down, not down to top. It's not us trying to figure out who God is, as so many other religious texts are. It's God revealing to mankind who he is. And that's why the Bible carries authority. It has been breathed out, inspired by God. It has a divine authorship. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for Every good work. 
Here's what God says about his own word in Isaiah 55, in verses 8 through 11. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. God considers his word to be his and not the words. He's, he's instructing Isaiah to write these down and to by his own understanding, by his own divine understanding, he is the author of this book. Psalm 119 and verse 11, David understood it. He said, I have stored up whose word? Your word. These are your words. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So what makes this book different than all the other books? Now, there may be claims of divine authorship, for those other books. But the Bible stands alone in that across multiple different languages, across centuries and millennia, this book is written all going together. I mean, if you look at the Quran, if you look at these other books, they're written in this small time frame by one person, by very, very few are involved. Here is this one book written very, very late, and yet when you look at Scripture, written across all these thousands of years, different cultures, different languages, and yet all sharing the same story. I mean, that's unheard of. Why? Why can that be the case? Because the Scripture has a divine authorship. Now, we'll look a little bit more closely at why the books of the Bible later, but tonight as we look at the inspiration of the scripture, we can trust this Bible because it's not man's word. If we're putting our hope and our trust in philosophies, and by the way, I can see it in your eyes. Some of you are philosophers tonight. You're asking the question, why am I here, right? Why is he speaking, right? You're asking that question. If you put your hope and trust in these empty philosophies of the world, you're going to be disappointed. Why? They have a human author. But God's word has a divine author. And I know those, that's repetitive. When I say God's word and divine author, those are repetitive. But you need to hear it. Every time I refer to the Bible, I try to say this is God's word. Every, every time I do my best to try to reiterate that, before I, before I preach, when I'm, uh, when I'm speaking of God's word, I try to say, hear now the, the word of the Lord. Why? Because this book has a divine authorship, and if this book claims a divine authorship, then I should treat this book as such. It has a divine authorship. Secondly, it has a sovereign authorship. Let me explain this. Second Peter Chapter 1 and verses 16 through 21. Actually, we'll read verse 16 and then we'll skip ahead to verse 21. Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, no doubt there were plenty of myths in Peter's time. Uh, he lived in the he lived in Israel, but it was in the Greek and Roman world. There's no shortage of myths. But what Peter testifies to is what he saw. 
I said this Sunday, I just want to reiterate it again. The last words of Peter to Jesus before Jesus uh, uh, went to the cross and died, the last words that he had to say about Jesus was him denying Jesus three times. Do you remember that? Three times Peter denied Jesus. And the Bible says that on that third time that he denied Jesus, he cursed and then he heard the rooster crow and Jesus looked across the room at him. And the Bible says his eyes, it's like it pierced Peter and he began to sob and he left. Now, what's the easiest thing for someone who's denied someone three times to do? The fourth time, it's the easiest thing to do is what? Deny, especially if he's dead especially if he is still in that grave. Why in the world reverse course? And yet Peter sees the resurrected Jesus and his attitude changes. Peter here says, we're not following cleverly devised myths. I saw it with my eyes. We made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. Verse 21 for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. Now, I don't know, I, perhaps one day we'll see in heaven how the scripture was written, but I don't think, I don't think Moses sat down and said, all right, I'm going to do my best to think about what the word of the Lord is and write it down, right? It didn't come from his own will. Let me think about what God may be like. No, that's, that's not what happens. What happens is God carries him along. No prophecy is ever produced by the will of man. First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 21 says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I, I, I like to say pen to paper. God is, God is the author of his word, but he used several human instruments. He used a lot of pens, but the handwriting is the same. And in the midst of it, you can see the distinct personalities of everyone, right? We're in the book of Timothy. Paul's writings are God's writings. God has spoken this through him, and yet 2 Timothy still carries with it the personality of Paul. He writes in these long sentences. He writes in a different way. Paul's writings are not like Peter's writings. Peter's writings are not like Jonah's writings. Jonah's writing is not like uh, uh, any of the others, like Ezekiel or Jeremiah. And yet God uses all of these different men. He carries them along. He breathes out his word, not compromising his holiness, not compromising in any way their own sinfulness, but pinning his word to us through them. It's a sovereign authorship. Why does the Bible have authority? Who else could do such a thing? By the way, this isn't just a New Testament principle. Throughout the scripture in the Old Testament, uh, you will hear Isaiah say words like this, thus saith the Lord. He understood that the words that he was saying did not belong to him, but they belonged to God. These are not my words. I wouldn't choose to say these words. As a matter of fact, I'm assuming that Ezekiel several times probably would have went, I don't know if I want to do that or say that. But these are God's words. They're not my words. God uses all of these different men to, to write, to pen his perfect 
word without error, without flaw. It's a sovereign authorship. Paul understood this. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. He says, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you had accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Paul did not have confidence in his flesh. What he had confidence in is through his apostolic authority as he was putting pen to paper on these letters that have been preserved for us. And this word that has been preserved for us to teach us, he had confidence that this was not his words. These are God's words. Why trust the Bible? Because they're not, the, the, they're not simply the words of men. They're the very words of God. It has a divine authorship. It has a sovereign authorship. But I want you to see also it has a full authorship. What is God's word? Uh, I pray that I might be a man that is filled with the Holy Spirit, but you're going to find errors in the things that I say. There are no errors in this book. This is God's word. What is his word? Every word in his book. Jesus had that same confidence when he talked about uh, the, the law and prophets could not fade away, not one jot, not one tittle. That's the smallest punctuation. That's the smallest uh, uh, letters in the Hebrew alphabet. None of this will pass away. I'm not coming to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill it. He said, every single word belongs to the Lord. They are his. They are perfect. That's what we would call in theological circles a verbal plenary view of the Bible. That is verbal. Every single word of this book is inspired by God. It is his word. Verbal means word plenary. means every single one of them. All of them belong to him, even the things that we don't like. So why can we trust the Bible? We'll get into the details uh, in the coming weeks of why we can trust that this book belongs where it belongs and why we are confident in its authorship and why we are confident in its dating. We'll look at that, but the thing you need to carry with you tonight is, why can we trust the Bible? It has been inspired, it has been breathed out by God. It's been given to us for a purpose. It's been given to us believers so that it would be profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God, that you may be complete, equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you have given me this evening to look at the inspiration of Scripture. And I pray that as uh, we are gathered here this evening that uh, you would forgive us where we have taken light of your word where we've not hid it in our hearts, where we've not meditated upon it and clung to it. Lord, I pray that we would be those people who love your word and, and memorize and meditate upon it. I pray we'd be those who re would respect your word. Father, I pray that even though we as, uh, as, as Baptists who have, who have walked in and, and, and been, a member of the, been members of a Baptist church for, for so long, even though we say we have a high view of the Bible, Lord, I pray that we would 
that, that your word and your name would be exalted in our own hearts and would be lived out in our own lives. Lord, use us for the rest of this week for your glory, and we'll be very careful to give you all the praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel. Thank you.